0: Jeff and Francis have the personality of a roof shingle. Fortunately for us, their guests make them slightly tolerable if they are on mute. This is Above the Fold and below your expectations.
1: Welcome everyone to Above the Fold. Today we are joined by Mike Carroll, head of growth at Nutshell. Mike, thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, thanks Jeff. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here. dude. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week.
1: a little bit of sarcasm there really if you know me you should be sarcastic well we're
0: you know we've only met a couple of times so far but uh but no i love you know i love podcasting i love talking about you know sales and marketing and so it's always fun when when i get to take a break from my day and just riff a little bit on you know on the things that are driving our business so um, that's what I, i always get excited about that
1: and you host a podcast yourself how's that been going
0: it's been awesome man uh, my former uh partner and I so I used to run a, a digital marketing agency here in the like Detroit area um called Kaleidico, and the agency is still you know very much in service or whatever and my partner there Bill rice and I have a podcast called make the logo bigger you can find it in all the you know the likely places um which cracks me up by the way because I still don't know like 90 different places to put your podcast these days. Someone's going to solve that problem sooner rather than later. Um, But it's been a great, it's been great fun. Uh, He and I love talking about marketing specifically. I do both sales and marketing now. So my life's a little different. Um, But one of the things that we missed the most when I left the company uh, to come and work at Nutshell was just on a daily basis, having the opportunity to kind of, you know, to riff and like kick back and forth ideas. And so finally I was like, well, why don't we just have a podcast? And, and, honestly the purpose of that podcast was like to fulfill a very personal need for the two of us to just shoot the shit um and and as a result uh you know people started listening to it and said they liked it and so we kept doing it and i think we're about 30 episodes deep now so it's pretty new but but we're getting the hang of it slowly but surely
1: Dude, that's exactly how our podcast started with my co-host Francis and I. We were just we would call each other on the phone and just bullshit back and forth. Yeah. And yeah. one day we decided, you know what, I think maybe somebody might want to listen to this. Probably not, but for the hell of it, let's just record the damn thing and see if it gets anyone listening. It can't, and it can't yeah. hurt.
0: <laughs> and here we
1: are. I mean, is it is really like a lazy man's uh, content creation platform, right? I was just talking to, uh, Trent Deersmith about this. He's a entrepreneur runs, a runs another podcast. So I've got two podcast hosts back to back. which has been awesome. And he's like, yeah, I love it. It's like a lazy man's content creation. You sit here and you talk ab- about stuff with somebody else and you get to publish it and call it, <laughs> call it content. <laughs>
0: That's right. And you can, you know, d- sometimes people don't prepare. Sometimes people do prepare. Um, and I like both podcasts, like the highly produced ones, which are cool. Mine is certainly not highly produced. It is Same. like a, an off the cuff type of conversation, obviously. Yeah. Like we're having now. Um, but, you know, I think it's beneficial. I think like the phenomenon of podcasts, right, is like it's beneficial for people in our like jobs to know that when you see someone out in the world and they're giving a presentation at a conference and everything else, like everything is all super polished, right? I mean, it's as if, as if that strategy that they executed like sprang from their mind fully formed and, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah, out right. came the, 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 beautiful results. But I think what podcasting does is just let people in on the fact that like, no, we're, we're all searching in the dark, just like anybody else. And we managed to find something that hit and people found it interesting. And so now you can talk about the process as much as the, the results themselves. And that, that's what I like about it. The informal nature, of of the content you know
1: i love that too and that's that was specific to our podcast we did not want this thing to be polished and produced i mean on one hand you hear that and you think well that's just pretty damn lazy and yeah it is you're right i can't argue with that but on the other hand it's it's more raw you know we don't go in with a whole lot of like you saw we were just talking about the topic like an hour beforehand we don't go in with a whole lot of prep and the the whole purpose of that is that when we get on this call we're gonna get some raw emotions coming out you know i'm gonna argue with you you're gonna argue with me and, and we, <laughs> it's just gonna be it's gonna be like a natural conversation on the phone you
0: know yeah let's hope so uh, you know and you look at the most popular podcasts. i mean i don't know what you listen to outside of like sales and marketing stuff but one of my favorite podcasts is joe rogan's thing oh yeah and he's got you know it's the biggest podcast in the world almost if not is uh and it's not produced at all. It's Joe Rogan sitting in a studio, like with a, a box of weed and booze in his table. And like, he just brings random people into the office and talks. And, and <laughs> the conversations are great. They're four hours long. And like, I listen to him while I mow the lawn. Yeah, no, I, there's no need for the the prep. This isn't NPR. You know, we're just, just having fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know how that works. He just sits there and smokes a massive amount of weed. Talks to guys that saw UFO. Did you see that guy, the UFO guy? What the hell's his name? Yes. Oh. Well, oh, he no. had
0: Dan. He had Dan Aykroyd on for one, and then he had Bob oh, yeah. Lazar on. There was Bob so Bob was Lazar is like the a, yeah, yeah. The, like the actual UFO guy. But but then he brought Dan Aykroyd on. And I'm a huge you know Dan Aykroyd fan. And Dan Ackroyd knows more about UFOs than Bob Lazar does. It was crazy. Dan like the, he's, does. I didn't know that. He's way entrenched in like the UFO and no aliens. Uh aliens. Yeah, it's amazing. Listen to that episode, dude. It's nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah. That one just came out recently. I was, I was off the planet. I was living in Bolivia the last seven weeks, Bolivia and Paraguay, and I that's had, awesome. Had nothing. I, I, I didn't hear anything. There's like I got no podcasts. There's no sports. There's no politics. It's like I pretty much just like dropped off the cave, the planet, and went into a cave. Kind of nice. That sounds
0: like the most lovely time I've ever <laughs> conceived of. I would love to be able to check out. What were you doing in Bolivia and Paraguay? Vacationing or working
1: or what? A lot of things I can't talk about on the, no, I was actually, a, <laughs> no, no, I was actually, I was, uh, I was working down there. So I was with a group of people that um, also, they just work remote And, um, yeah, it's just kind of like a normal work day. You get to, uh, you know, with this group, you travel around, it's a company, actually you travel around and you, you select a location that they run for about a month and you get two things. You get good accommodations and you get good Wi-Fi. and everybody that you're with is working too. They're all entrepreneurs or they work for companies, whatever. And you just work a normal work day, except you're in a different country. That's amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. My audience is probably sick of hearing it, but I, I think it's awesome. It's a hell of a way to live a life yeah not to mention our all our right. company's based in east coast and that put me on east coast time zone so i can travel 15 hours and actually get closer to the office <laughs> than out here in the west coast where i am now so
0: <laughs> yeah that's strange i'll never <laughs> i'll never understand that i'm always talking to people in like new zealand or australia and i know it's tomorrow yeah. and i just can't square that in my mind yeah no
1: no it's, it's all screwy they're, they're on future time so anyways um, you sent me an article today you've got a really good topic you're fired up about right now aligning sales and marketing teams yeah tell me what's got well you got to be in your bonnet what's going on with that
0: well I, I can I'll give you a little bit of the background and then and then and then like we'll open up the discussion a little bit so, so the background is when when I was there and it still is by the way by its very nature is a lead generation agency like very specifically so, Unlike other d- digital agencies, you know, my focus on brand or, you know, more on the creative side. Not that we didn't do those things, um, but ninety nine point nine 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 percent of our clients came to us because they needed sales leads. Period. SQLs or MQLs, I guess. But but then we would nurture them in SQLs anyway. So so what ended up happening is, while we, the marketing team would end up hiring us um, because invariably their sales team was complaining about the quality of the leads that they were sending them, and they thought something was wrong with them. Um, we would end up working with sales teams almost more often than we were with marketing teams as a marketing agency, which I found sort of interesting. And as a result of that, I started to like experience the very extreme pain point between, you know, certain marketing leaders and clients of ours that would say, Hey, we don't want you to produce leads for us because we don't want to be responsible for them. Like, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Wait, out wait, of a marketing wait. Person's
1: mouth. Unpack that. What the hell are you talking about? Don't produce leads for us.
0: It, correct. So so we had a handful of clients, not not all of them, but but a handful of clients, um, larger companies, more often than not, uh, who we would do digital marketing for, let's say, like HQ, like, you know, the, for the corporate headquarters, and there's different business units and all that kind of stuff. And and so we're doing a lot of thought leadership work and, and building blogs and, you know, traffic and, and that kind of thing. But invariably, again, invariably, like, that's going to create a lead, right? I mean, it, it's all this is you know, five, six years ago. So the internet is a little bit more nascent from a digital marketing perspective, but all that activity is going to generate some type of business interest.
1: Yeah, that's Um, why we exist. That's why we do what we do do in marketing.
0: Serious. So, so, and we used to, people would come to these blogs and they would say, oh, you know, they would email the editor or whatever else we're like great well, why don't we just start producing these leads and like sending them you know to your various sales teams or at least into some sort of funnel and th- that particular individual at the time was like absolutely not i do not ever want to be on the hook for leads i don't want to be responsible for them the second that we start producing leads then leadership is going to want us to produce more leads and you know it became a whole thing and so we were instructed very specifically not to capture or produce leads Um, and that's because the marketing team at that particular time and for that particular company didn't want to be responsible for them. Then on the inverse, um, you know, I've worked with sales teams that won't even touch marketing generated leads, right? Like, so the marketing team goes to all this trouble to generate a lead and they won't reach out to them or whatever else. Always the marketing team's leads are crap. Okay. (laughs) Uh, so as I start, so that's probably not true. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe some of them are, some of them are not, and we'll get into that in, in a second, but the, but I started to like see this relationship that I always heard joked about all the time, right? That there's such an adversarial, you know, sort of relationship between sales and marketing, and I just never understood it because you're all on the hook for revenue. Like at the end of the day, no one's got a job if the company isn't making money, and you're both responsible for it. It's like why aren't you working together? And as it turns out, as you know, very few of them work together even today in this marketplace. And so when I talk about sales and marketing alignment, I don't talk about alignment. I talk about killing the sales and marketing team and calling it one team. It's all part of the same funnel. One person selling one-to-one transactional, one person is selling one-to-many or one team is selling one-to-many. And for them not to be like inextric- inextricably connected, I find to be silly. Like they're, the, the I mean, you're going to jump in here in a second, but let me finish this now. Okay, all
1: right, all right. Sorry, my jets.
0: No no, 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 I know you want it because I, I want to have this debate because in a it, nutshell, it's a work in progress, right? And we can talk about that more as well. But think about it this way. A, a, a team of Navy SEALs is, is what, in essence?
1: Um, I, I don't know. A bunch of guys that didn't want to find jobs after high school? Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> that's,
0: that's, wrong, a, that's, that's a answer. Answer. No, sorry, I was sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're killers,
0: right? I mean, yeah. in essence, they're killers. Oh, okay, they're okay, all okay. trained killers. Sure,
1: that's, that was my second answer, right.
0: <laughs> so, but on that team, by the way, there's like a guy that does comms. There's a guy that does is the medic. There's a guy that's a rifleman. There's a person that does explosives and they can all do each other's jobs, but they all have particular focuses and specialties. And I don't think of a growth team or sales and marketing together any differently. We all have tactical specialties, which is important. Um, but if we're not like rowing the same boat, then we're never going to get to where we need to go. Um, We're never going to complete the mission or whatever that is. So, so that's why I say it's time to kill the sales and marketing teams as two separate entities, and they become two tactical units on the same team.
1: I agree. I, I completely agree on that. Where I'm going to argue with you is when you say that we're all working to generate income for the company. Yes, really. But actually, <laughs> I, I'd say no, because we're all working to put dinner on our plate at the end of the day, we're all working to feed ourselves. Right. I mean, in theory, in an idealist world, yeah, we're all trying to get the company to prosper. But when it comes down to it, what people really won't say is that it's their incentives that are driving them. Sales team incented to... Close big deals and and get a nice commission. Like so put dinner on their plate, feed their family. Marketing team incentivized to send a whole bunch of leads to the sales team so they can hit their numbers, put dinner on the plate. And those don't really, those don't necessarily, and a lot of times they never jive with the overall company goal. And that's where I'd argue is the biggest conflict between sales and marketing.
0: Uh, so, so I think you touch on it with a needle, and it's really important. That's absolutely correct. Which is like the traditional way to measure the success of these disparate teams, those mm-hmm. working independently, is by different metrics. My argument is that a, that's wrong. So, so they should all be be measured by the same metric, which would be revenue or growth. And then, so and then second of all, and this is a radical idea, and I haven't tried it here at nutshell, at nutshell yet, but my sales team. Uh, is on a team commission, for one. It's not an individual commission. It's on a team commission, so everybody works together. Um, But I, at some point, would like to implement the fact that everybody gets revenue-based commission, marketing included.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So
0: imagine, do you know what I mean? So imagine that. So so if, if, if both of these teams are working together and you hit certain revenue goals, for us, it would be MRR, new MRR, right, for a month because we're a software company. But whatever it is, whatever your quarterly goal is, or monthly goal is, if both teams are responsible for hitting that objective, then you've got a marketing team focused on sending you not the vast volume of leads that you need, but the quality of leads that you're looking for and figuring out how to produce that quality of lead. And you've got a sales team leveraging those quality leads to then close those deals. And in the inverse, by the way, you've got a sales team engaged with telling their marketing team what makes a good lead and what doesn't make a good lead, where those leads are coming from that are closing the easiest of the most value, all that kind of stuff. And then in the inverse, by the way, you've got a marketing team that all of a sudden finds themselves more invested in creating something like sales enablement content which often in this adversarial relationship is like a giant pain in the ass, right? Like nobody wants to on the marketing team ever wants to spend the time to like make a new sales deck. It's like the mm. worst activity in the world. To be a marketer. <laughs> it's so boring um, right, because right. The, sale, you know, the sales team has like particular, you want to be all narrative with it and whatever else. And, the, and you know, I can hear the sales guy now, bro, I just need this case study and that thing and you know and like blah 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 and these numbers and like we could just put that in a deck for me and make it look shiny that'd be great (laughs) uh you know and so but (laughs) so that's not exciting but if they're all working towards the same goal they're all celebrating wins together they're all working together and is it perfect like no again this is an experiment that i'm like in the midst of of executing and trying and i've got a relatively tight-knit and small team here at nutshell to try that with and so you know my questions that i have like does it scale you know, all, all that kind of stuff uh, still exists. But, but I can tell you one thing for sure. The current paradigm where marketing and sales are like, you know, are like the cool kids and the, you know, the nerds or whatever at the lunch table, you know, in your middle school is an unacceptable way to grow your business. Like, it's just not going to not going to work that way. I've got I've got a good story about that, but I'll I'll let you, you know, jump in here a little bit before I start off on some tangent. I
1: want that story. I I want that story, but I want to know who are the cool kids and who are the who are the nerds.
0: it depends on what team you're on, I guess, wouldn't it be. <laughs> so if you're on the sales team, you're the cool kids. If you're on the marketing team, you're the cool kids, but regardless, you're adversarial for no for no particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so so if you've got an existing structure where you have uh, misaligned incentives, like you've got a marketing team that gets paid on leads, not necessarily quality of leads, they should be, right? Right. And then you got a sales team that's incented to, you know, close deals and they get paid based on closed deals. So they're only going to take the good leads. I mean, will this structure work or do you have to blow the whole thing up and start over in your opinion?
0: No, I think the structure works. I mean, the second you start measuring both teams by the same metrics and they start mm-hmm. meeting together and living together, working together, like, you know, that type of thing, I think it changes very quickly. I mean, when I came to Nutshell, there's a another thing I'll share with you later, which I, we can have a whole other discussion about how much I hate Facebook. But the
1: oh yeah, let's let's uh, let's bookmark that.
0: Yeah, we can for I
1: wanna, sure. I want to <laughs> jump into that dog pile. <laughs> Yeah, <all right. laughs> uh,
0: but but one of the first things I did here, you know, by the way, is like, well, there's two elements to this, right? One, your organization needs to be tracking source to sale, and, and most don't. Right, not not accurately, and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to track. Right, so most marketing teams are, are tracking source to lead. Sure, I know that Google AdWords and this campaign or that ad group or whatever else sends me the most leads at this amount, and, you know, whatever it is. And but that's where it stops at the water's edge, as opposed to tracking source to sale, which is like the most coveted thing in in revenue ops, of course. Which is like, okay, I don't really care which channel sends us the most leads, but which channel is sending us the most closed deals.
1: Yeah. Also the hardest one to actually at, attribute all the way across the lifespan. It's yeah. a little,
0: it's a little tough and you got to make some assumptions, you know, based in certain places, but you don't need all the data to make a good decision. And so like the first thing mm-hmm. I did when I got here to nutshell, we were spending, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a month on Facebook ads. They're oh. producing a, a significant amount of leads uh, and whatever else, but like the, the business analyst that, you know, my new team member, I wasn't here two weeks uh, and and she's like she's like those leads don't close and i was like are you sure about that and she was like yes i'm sure about that and everybody in the company was very weary to like cut 20% of our lead flow well, i just went ahead and did it i just shut it down huh. um and since i've you know since i've been here i've actually reduced our lead volume by about 25% but huh. we've grown revenue by 35%
1: yeah uh, that actually makes sense uh, from our standpoint we were like all of a sudden we, we started really taking content marketing seriously, taking SEO seriously. And we boosted our, our inbound leads from like an average of 75 to 350 and we're allocating mm-hmm. out all of them. You know, we're like, even, you know, Jerry's coal shop, uh, it was getting allocated out, you know, and, uh, it didn't do anything to the bottom line. We're right? like, what the hell we've, uh, what's, what, ha- what happens after quadrupled quintupled? quits that's right I don't know it that's
0: right no, I know time. Word- that's right, you're right <laughs> I don't know
1: I don't know words I'm an idiot um, we did that and then it's like okay why isn't revenue growing with it well, it's because you know we're actually not it looks great on paper like a marketing team we look we looked awesome like wow sure. that many extra leads but but really unless you're really specific about what you're allocating out because the sales team is their time represents money right so the time opportunity cost of not taking some enterprise leads for a good looking quick win from a micro organization, uh, isn't great. And it, what we actually benefited from was doing what you did and actually cutting the leads that we were generating and, and, uh, sending across the right ones. So they actually have a more opportunity to close these damn things.
0: Yeah. And more isn't always better. And, and in a disparate t- sense to situation when the sales and marketing teams are like disconnected, right? I mean, m- the benefit I have here is the fact that like you know i run the sales team and the marketing team so when we push in you know 300 extra leads this month and it overwhelms the sales team because they've got to make all those phone calls i a not only hear that griping right like i don't have enough time to get to the people i need to close um and some of that is griping and some of that is legit uh which i'll talk about how to like alleviate that problem for yourself in a second but the but the you know. But of course, when I've got to look those people in the face and I start to see that they're wasting time on all these leads, I can do two things. One, I can make a snap judgment and be like, you know what, don't call them. You know, and obviously, this is a bad batch and like we got to figure out what's going on with that. We'll nurture them and we'll see if we can't bring them back. And then you guys can just call the hand raisers. So we'll do that for you as a, as a marketing team. And then in the inverse of course you know when we hit a hit a gold miner a gold pop like I, they would come to me and be like dude where are those leads coming from that you know that just came in over the last couple of days i'm like oh we just ran this campaign like we love these leads you know so then you get this sort of this always on feedback loop mm-hmm. but i'll tell you the one thing that'll cure the mar- and this is for marketers specifically so anybody who's a marketer who like listens to this and, and has never done sales and doesn't work in sales First of all, you're a salesman or salesperson or saleswoman or whatever. You are a salesperson. Marketers are sellers. Don't convince yourself of anything otherwise. You're just selling one to many, not one to one. But every single marketing team on a rotation should send their people to the BDR team to make fucking phone calls. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you make them do that, then they have a fundamental appreciation for two things, right? One, like you said, time and opportunity cost, how much time it takes to like dial the phone, do this thing, leave a voicemail, whatever else. So they get to respect their sales team's time. And then two, they finally get a piece of like your beautiful, polished marketing copy you know, your one pager or whatever, once it comes out the other end and you're having like a real one-on-one conversation, is just not how that goes, right? It's not a thing that happens in a vacuum. And so then they get a better sense for the state of mind that the buyer is in. And then that's going to filter back up to their marketing. Uh, the first thing I did when I came to Nutshell is I didn't do any marketing when I got here. Our marketing team is great and the leads were fine and whatever else. I jumped onto the sales team as a BDR and I made cold calls. I set demos
1: hmm.
0: like for the first three months i was here then i did demos for the next year i've been on i've been on the nutshell sales team for a year literally just this week because we've hired enough to backfill so we've got enough you know people power to reach out to the leads we need to reach out to i'm finally like coming off the sales team i'm gonna have a party by the way, Jeff. like i can't <laughs> wait to, to, to not have to like sell directly every day all day because like it's hard it's the hardest job there is
1: dude. i'll come to the party I'm I'm grateful I'm, if I'm invited. I'm I'm grateful that I've I've never been asked to do that. I've watched the folks cold dialing. I've watched them pitching. That is hard, damned work, man. They live a life of rejection and and just bouncing mm-hmm. back and having somehow our BDR and BDE teams are are gifted with a, a short memory and confidence that I I won't understand. You know, if, if somebody just. I'm a soft marketing dude. If somebody crushes me with a no, I'm like, "Well, why? What did I do wrong?" You know, I get all insecure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, it's and like it's, it's like
0: golf, Jeff. You know, you just need one good shot around. Yeah, I, suck and golf I suck at golf too.
1: I suck at golf too. See, it's not for me. I'm not built that way. Not built that way. <laughs> um, you bring up an interesting point on creating content for sales team. It was just like super, super important. You you absolutely, marketing teams, you know, you absolutely have to create good content for the sales teams. Uh, you have to be taking case studies, success stories, converting that into pitch decks, um, converting your products or your your work into products where you can. Uh, you have to be creating like actually compelling content. They're not going to, sales teams are not going to write their own Uh, pitch deck copy. They're not, they're not copywriters. So really like that has to flow up. And I think sometimes from what I've heard, uh, there can be issues with, it feels like the marketing team working for the sales team and it creates this relationship thing that goes, that goes one way when we know that's not true because we are all trying to to close deals and bring revenue into the business, like you mentioned earlier, but how do you set up a system where you've got sales people that are helping marketing people create content for them in a way that doesn't feel like one is subservient to the other?
0: So I I think there has to be a degree of, again, in a collaborative relationship, it doesn't feel subservient. It feels supportive. So, so like, I think that comes from a like a philosophical place, right? So if the teams are working together and they're responsible for the same metrics and they're rowing the same boat, then it doesn't feel, then like, then the, then the, you know, then the marketing team gets to see the effect of what that sales content does, right? So like, so for example, by the way, you know, at Nutshell, we've got a Slack integration. So when any deal is won over a certain value, it drops into Slack and the whole company gets to celebrate. With our one thousand different unique and custom Slack emojis, it's like a sport at Nutshell. I'm sure it is where you are as well. Slack being the, the you know the sort of culture changer that it is, but but the purpose of that is is that when I see a good well, go ahead,
1: well yeah, hold on, let me divert real quick. What is the thing? I don't get it. I, Slack seems okay to me. We don't use Slack. I've used it before. Like, why is this such a big deal to people? Why is everybody so crazy about Slack? What am I missing?
0: I'd, well, it keeps you out of your email for one. I mean, and then two, I think I think when you when a company uses Slack the correct way, to me, it's both a social tool and a business tool. And, and so, if you give people like so, for example, like a nutshell, one of the reasons why I think it's so popular here is that like yes, we've got a sales support success channel, we've got a sales en- or support engineer channel, you know, and all the kind of things that are critical to have like active business conversations during the day without jumping in your email. So that's the the time saver benefit. The second part of that, like the cultural or like social part of it is we also have channels like cute dogs and kids and pets, you know, and where people share pictures of their families and, and whatever else. And we've got a random channel, a conspiracy conclave channel, a lunchroom channel, a you know, a Red Wings channel. a You know, anyway, so everyone gets to have their own little pockets and clicks and share fun things during out the day. And it just makes the company more social uh, in general. We've got a whole channel dedicated to the New York Times crossword puzzle.
1: Sounds incredibly distracting. I'm going to be honest with you. look
0: <laughs> it, it, It is a little distracting, but again, if, you know, if you trust, I guess maybe this is, it's not unique to us. Right. But like everybody's responsible for doing their work and getting their work in on time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and if they're not doing that, then that's like your responsibility as an employee. If like you can't manage your own time, like appropriately and not like jump in and be slacking all day and like not getting your job done. Then like, that's, that's your problem as a worker, I guess. Um, I I don't find the advantage in taking things away from people because you have to like cheat to the, you know, to the, to the lowest common denominator. That's, that's silly. That doesn't generate excellence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense.
0: It can be distracting though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> For me, I mean, yeah. we we're using email and I don't want to spend too long on this, but we're using email and G <laughs> chat. And uh, I mean, I just don't see how it w- it could be much different from that. And I just, I can't justify just jumping over into Slack because I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't seem much different to me.
0: If it doesn't, I'll say this, like anything else, if it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. But like, but if it does, it can be, it can be an incredible tool. The, The answering employee questions via email is really a time suck. No, I mean, that to me is the, yeah, that, that to me is the biggest advantage of any type of chat tool, whether it's GChat, Skype, Slack, what a hip chat, like yeah. whatever.
1: Especially when you get that one employee that right, likes to write Atlas shrugged in every email you're like, are you kidding me? Do you, do you care about my time <laughs> at all? I'm not going to read this.
0: You get one, the answer to that question is no. You get <laughs> one
1: paragraph, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's what I think the advantage of slack is like what we were talking about before that. I had uh, a larger, I mind. have no idea. Oh,
1: uh, creating creating, oh, celebrating,
0: Yeah, so celebrating wins. Right. It was like, so, yeah. so, okay, we all celebrate the wins, but the other best part about it is we do track source to sale. So, so when I see a nice big fat win, not only do I do it to go to my sales team, whoever worked on that, our support team contributes to these wins because I can see, you know, through our Zendesk integration, like how many times that lead interacted with our support team. But the best part is that I go back and I check on the larger ones, what content did this lead engage before they became a trial? And then I get to go congratulate, you know, the person that wrote it or the yeah. marketing team members that created it and be like, hey, you guys produced this lead you have as much of a a reason to celebrate here as anybody else, because that person doesn't know we exist, doesn't come in, isn't enthused, and like you seeded the whole conversation, and that's fundamentally critical. Let's go do more of that. And everybody celebrates together, and it's awesome, and everyone's having a good time. And then they feel like, oh, that article that I wrote, which I was not excited about, six best CRMs that integrate with QuickBooks, which is like not the sexiest thing to have to write all day long, has real business value and it drives more leads than any other article and like they get to pat themselves on the back. So it all comes down to metrics, what you're tracking and how you celebrate together as a team.
1: That's super important, especially for the content creation teams, because usually they're the last people to see what happens with their content. You know, they're in such a position where it's they don't see the end result. Like they've created a pitch deck and they're not part of the pitch calls. They're creating another pitch deck, right? Because they're the content creators, right. And it's so hard for them to see the, the wins of their work that there's really got to be a system put together where they can see what they're doing, where it's going. I and mean, that it's not just getting shot out into the ether and nobody's reading it. You know, it's like, no, you created this piece of content and it generated this deal worth $80,000. Congratulations, you just created $80,000 of revenue. You know, that's a win that you can build on.
0: With, yeah, exactly. With, you know, with the flick of your pen, so to speak. And right. you know, I think, I think not enough time. Also, and we know as marketers, by the way, you know, marketing is like the redheaded stepchild of the business world. When it's working, is it? nobody pays attention. Oh, right. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think so. I mean, when it's working, which is expected to yeah. work, because everyone, everyone thinks they're a marketer, right? Everyone, oh, I watch TV. Oh God. You know, I'm an advertiser. You know, they think that it's subjective.
1: They so think this, it's just, oh yeah, I can do yeah, really, marketing.
0: Oh, I think that's good. I don't think that's, it's not, it's, it's as much science as it is yeah. art. And anyway, but the, but that being said is, and but when it's not working, holy shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if the leads aren't coming in, then, you know, then all the whole world's blowing up and, and, and somebody's going to get fired yeah. and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And that's no way to treat a team with inside your organization. And it doesn't make anybody feel good. So I also think from a leadership perspective um, and this isn't a sales thing, this is like a CEO, like C-suite level thing. It's like, you can't, know just expect marketing to work because like you think it's easy to write an email it's not you know i mean when i write sales email sequences for my sales team i rewrite them like 10 times i just got done writing 20 different emails for like various scenarios and templates that they can leverage and like all of those things matter um, luckily I'm in charge like I know it matters so it doesn't have to be like told that it matters but in a much larger organization when you like filter that task down to somebody and then you, they get it done and they just don't even say thank you and just take it away yeah I mean of course the the marketing team' is going to feel like they're working right. for the sales team like you don't want your marketing team to feel like a creative services department. You want them to feel like a strategic entity within your organization. Right, That's right sure. exactly.
1: Um, and by the way, yeah, writing emails has got to be one of the hardest things to do in marketing. That is so damned hard. And it, you get so little to show for it when you're done. You're like, oh, wow, 100 words. Wow, that took you an hour <laughs> or an hour and a half, you know? But, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, it is. is. It's like, it's like <laughs> writing poetry, you know? <laughs>
0: Well, well, you write 20 different subject lines, you know, like, and then you got to test them like, okay, we're going to A, B test this. We're going to do that. And then that's another thing I talk about in my article, by the way, which is like one of the things that salespeople are not inherently good at, but marketers are, and this is where salespeople can learn from marketers a lot is about testing. So like your average salesperson is not like out there, like busy testing follow-up email templates, right? Like, okay which which subject line gets more of it gets more opens, okay? which which body copy or subject line plus body copy gets me more replies? Are they even tracking replies? You know, like all all of that kind of stuff, and that's where your marketing oh, team that's... can be really good at it, right? They can make you yeah. the salesperson so much more efficient with your time if you just let them. and they would love to help you do that. Like I mean, you go to a salesperson or marketing person and be like i've got this particular problem that i need to solve for like a very large amount of people i send this email 50 times a day how can we make it better that's the thing that marketers no, salivate around
1: that's oh. what puts us squarely in the nerd camp too by the way like that i'm just getting excited just yeah. thinking about that it's it's <laughs> like catnip for marketers it's ridiculous i don't know i don't know what <laughs> what is built into us with that but it's weird it's a thing it's definitely a thing
0: It's the art of it's. I think it's the art of persuasion, right? Mm -hmm. I come from a political background, so early in my career, I worked. Yeah, I worked in politics for six and a half (laughs) years. I was a political operative, and uh, I did communications and campaign management. But like my favorite thing about being a speechwriter and the communications director for campaigns from like city council all the way to the U.S. Senate. it's like you put out a poll, right? You, you, you take the the pulse of any particular community. It might be a subset. It might be the entire electorate. It might be likely voters. Whatever it is, and it comes back to you, and you analyze it, and you look at it, and you're like, okay, here's the you know, here's the direct mail campaign we're going to run. Here's how we're going to change our message when we're knocking doors and our phone calls. And then two weeks later, you run another poll, and like you see the numbers move. Yeah, and you did that. Yeah you know in a very in a very nerdy way i changed how people think about something fundamental and like that's addictive and that's what marketing is i mean it's the same thing it's like we you know these people were not interested in this thing so we built this piece of content and it got 150 downloads last week and like they're reading it and whatever else and yeah marketers love the numbers we're we're built to to work in spreadsheets and to to love numbers because our entire job is focused on up and to the right. I mean, everybody's job is focused on up and to the right. But like a marketer with a slight change and a good test can can like come back and be like, oh, I increased traffic last quarter by 250%. What did you do?
1: It was, it was <laughs> baseball know, so that got me into it. That is like the absolute statistician's... Uh-huh wet dream. It, it's like they will pull the most obscure stats in the world just for the, the sake of pulling stats. Be like, this guy led the league in ninth inning doubles on in on Sundays uh, during Easter weekend from 1933. <laughs> it's like, where the hell did you pull that number? That is the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. And I want to hear more about it, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, the, you know, we're always fascinated with the difference between causation and correlation, right? Which is like something that salespeople often like think about, but like that's our whole day. Like, okay, did they do that because we did that or they did that? They're going to do that anyway. And we just <laughs> happen to like be yeah. in the middle of it. Um, and the, these are fun questions about human behavior. You know, and that's, I think that's, you know, that's what I love about being a marketer. It's about understanding people. It's about how copy persuades people. It's about how people behave.
1: That's why thing. do you hate Facebook? <laughs> oh, fuck. So, okay. We put Sorry. the explicit tag on there. We're okay. <laughs> we're, we're all adults here.
0: Okay, good. Uh, I, why do I hate Facebook from a business perspective? Or like, why do I hate Facebook from a marketing
1: just perspective? Just go. I, I just unleashed your cage. Just jump out of it.
0: Facebook is a social ill.
1: <laughs> unleashed
0: upon an unwilling populace. <laughs> designed to bring people together that has achieved exactly the opposite. And they continue to push forward as a corporate entity that holds themselves up as like the arbiter of social discourse when they're the ones that fucking destroyed it. That's like, <laughs> this is juicy.
1: All right. All right. How this <laughs> that, that, would be, that
0: would be, that be, that would be fundamentally why I hate Facebook, like don't face value. The second reason why I hate Facebook from a business perspective is because they're a bunch of liars, <laughs> they're a bunch of sack of shit liars. So the so, so when you look at you know when you look at the Facebook pixel, how it tracks conversions, view through conversions, they cook their books. Video views, remember that scandal, by the way. Video yeah, the views. Video oh view yeah, they
1: lied about it, right? Or they? Yeah, they lied about it, <laughs> which is the. the They
0: they pumped up the numbers by simply saying that when you – as long as the video played, it counted as a view. And you and I both know if you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, they're all on autoplay with no sound. So, so, I mean, yes, I guess I got (laughs) the view. And so they they capture ghost conversions and whatever else. Anybody listening, by the way, that thinks Facebook is like a quality lead channel, if you're using Facebook analytics to determine that, stop immediately (laughs) – and start at least using your Google analytics and trust your GA as opposed to your Facebook metrics, because Facebook is full of shit <laughs> and they're cooking their books to make you spend more money. We should and with and, this. <laughs> so well, cause if you, okay. So there's always, there's never a one-to-one in analytics, right? So like analytics tracks things one way, Facebook pixel, you know what I mean? Unbounce, like whatever you're using, it's never going to oh, yeah. be one-to-one. None of
1: them are accurate.
0: This is right. Not hundred percent accurate. But when you go into Facebooks and it tells you that you had 150 conversions, like whether they're, view through conversions or actually click conversions, like last click conversions or whatever they are. Mm -hmm. And then you go into your Google analytics and it's half. Okay. Like that's, I I mean, a disparity of 15% is like one thing, right? Like, okay. I mean, I can, I can deal with some bleeding at the margins, but when I was looking at our Facebook stuff, like it would be a half to three quarters less than Google analytics. (laughs) And our agency at the time would be like, no, 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 look at the Facebook metrics. And I'm like, dude, I can't, I don't trust those people any farther than I can throw. it, uh, And so, and, and that's why I, I mean, not from a business perspective, that's why I hate Facebook because they've killed the organic marketplace on Facebook and they've pushed ads and I get, yeah, we, we run ads, Senator. Yeah. I, I heard you Zuckerberg, but the, but they just make it in like an inhospitable environment for digital marketers. And I've, cannot stand that. Like, It's fine if you want to make me pay. I, don't, I get that. That's your business model. But at least tell me the truth about what I'm saying. So
1: paying. that's what drives me crazy about it is from the very beginning, at least from a B2B standpoint, it started out as a lie. It started out as a bubble. Right. It's like everybody's on Facebook. Okay, everybody yes. jump to it. It's the new sexy, shiny new toy. Everybody needs to, to jump in there. And really, there's a very key fundamental thing that everybody overlooked is there's a complete mismatch of attention right? It's like all these businesses, like you're selling PBX phones on Facebook and all these businesses thought they're going to sell PBX phones on Facebook. No, these people are on Facebook to look at, to look at pictures of their friends, ugly babies and to like, to to promote their own, uh, perfect, well-crafted image of themselves, right? The attention there is completely mismatched with what businesses were told they were going to get out of it. Uh, yes, people are on Facebook no, they're not there to buy things that aren't like impulse buys that are just popping up as like B two C consumable stuff on the sidebar. They have no interest in your business at all,
0: none. It, not and not at the, I mean not at that time, right? So like, and now is Facebook useful in a particular way? Sure, it, it can be if you sell T shirts or like bobbleheads. Facebook's a great thing to to like capture someone's idiotic notion of novelty and then sell them something. But if you're, yeah, if you sell a B2B product, then like, I just don't, and maybe I'm missing something and I've asked other marketers about this at conferences and when I meet them on our podcast and like, and to like we had um, her name is Xenia and she's the CEO of Planable, huh. um, which is like a, an agency client uh, social collaboration tool where you can build all your posts and her tool. And they, you know, they basically look exactly like the look on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And then the client can come in and review them like in a, in a mocked up environment so that, you know, it's a great collaboration tool. Very cool tool.
1: Um, she, she's on your podcast.
0: Yeah, she was. Um, and we had, good get. Yeah, it was a good get. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, she's super smart. And before that I mean, she I mean, ran a, I mean, she I would love to do that. I, she she ran a social agency and so she's like a Facebook guru, right? She gets it and she's gotten it to move. And I asked her some of these questions as well and she's like she's like yeah, people fundamentally like misinterpret what the channel is for. Um but, and I think that's what B2B is, you know, like I'm like us are just missing about it. Like if you want to grab someone's attention and give them some like for brand awareness, let's call it that. If you want to do something like cool campaign on Facebook and you're a B2B company and what you're giving away is T-shirts or like you just want someone to download this piece of content and then nurture them later, it could be a great tool for that. Absolutely. But like just don't mistake yourself of what you're going to be paying for and what you're going to be getting out of it. And, And what you're going to be getting out of it, by the way, is like is half trash.
1: Mm, yeah. And it just blows me away when the balloon popped. Have you been following the, the Rand Fishkin studies of he's on his war path against Google and, and social networks?
0: Oh, no, no, I mean, I love I love Rand, but I have not been following his latest his, his latest odyssey.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's he's been on a crusade against Google for featured snippets and all that stuff. I bored the hell out of my audience on that. But uh, another thing that he's tracking was uh, social engagement rates for B2B for businesses and it dropped from like maybe five years ago. There's like a 5% average engagement rate for, for businesses. And it's dropped to like 0.09% in the last well, year.
0: Well, that's, a, that's not surprised that's,
1: me. I don't, yeah, it didn't surprise me either, but it shocked a ton of people. It shocked businesses like, Oh my God, how is this possible? Like, were you paying attention from the beginning? Like this is the writing was on the wall from the very beginning. This was not the place for yeah. you.
0: No, never. It was never the place for you. And here's the like here's a, a a tale Okay, so maybe you, let's say you understand Facebook the channel and you're like, "Great, I'm going to figure out a way to like hack the system and leverage it anyway because people are spending time there." And anywhere where eyeballs are spending time, right, is an opportunity to sell something to somebody. I mean, I will say that. Right. So like it's a habit for everybody. Everyone's got Facebook up while they're sitting at their desks and they are thinking about work at the same time. So they're like there is some correlation if you can figure out how to capture their attention for long enough to bring them back to like Earth and have them thinking about a work thing. Whether that's a good thing or not, we can like you and I could have that debate. So as a result of that, last year, I tried to create a private Facebook group for just our customers. So in our in trial drip or in trial users and our customers, in our in trial drip, you know, there's the thing it's like hey, if you want to talk about sales like B2B sales and marketing and you want to access these experts and whatever else and I had this whole plan by the way to invite people like you into the group and and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff and like give people access to a sort of like a uh what do you call it? a um a curated uh like thought leadership class if you will. And mm-hmm. it, So, I got about 200 people in there. Whenever I share a post in there, it gets seen by eight people, nine people, 11 people. And so, like, I did the thing that they wanted me to do I created a private group, I invited people to it, they joined it, they want the content, and they still won't serve it to them. What do I got to do? I got to sell, I got to send ads out to people in my own Facebook group? Yes, is the answer to that question. So,
1: that's the yeah, point so at the yeah. end
0: of the day fuck you facebook like
1: I, i'm <laughs> <laughs> done this is, great, this is one of my favorite <laughs> tangents i've ever been on <laughs> <laughs> i'm done with facebook you did, all, you did all the work for me man it's like i don't even have to say it anymore <laughs> you get to be that guy that's awesome
0: uh, when you go to my medium post, i'm like i cut our facebook spend by twenty thousand dollars the featured image mm-hmm. on it is a big thumbs up sign turned into a middle finger god i
1: can't see <laughs> I think, <so. laughs> Yeah. And, and, uh, okay. So here's a question for you. You took that. How'd you reallocate that spend? What'd you put it into?
0: Oh, I put that spend, uh, directly into organic content.
1: Yeah. That, that's my baby. Now we're talking.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I took everyone. Well, I saved it for one for a while and like just built up some cash flow, which was nice. My, my CEO appreciated that. And then, yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, but then I've, I've been slowly reallocating it into two areas. One, um, organic content. So we've hired some people to do some stuff there, more freelancers Mm -hmm. and and some full-time staffers. The other thing we put that money into, by the way, is the conference, the digital or the virtual conference we run every year called boundless, um, which was super successful last year where I'm super excited about, uh, boundless 2020. Um, it's a, it's a sales, you know, a conference geared towards sales and marketing a little bit, but, but more towards the sales side. Um, and that's been super successful, uh, 300, 400, 5% ROI on what we spend on that conference versus Ooh. what we spend on.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Tell, tell me a little bit more about, I don't know about Boundless.
0: Oh, sure. So last year we did it for the first time, which is Boundless 2019. And it's just a full day mm-hmm. you know, virtual conference where we get sales influencers, marketing influencers. Um, you know, We had like a, a guy from HapClop who helped found North Face, came and talked. And so it's just, it's conference level content, but you don't have to go anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, we're obviously not uh-huh. Yeah. That's
1: awesome.
0: Yeah. The first person or the first company to do this, but it it sort of started as like a way to develop what we call a customer appreciation day. Uh, So just for our customers, but then it quickly evolved into into something larger. And so, you know, this year we're going to try and double it in size. I think last year we had about a thousand registrants Um, this year. We're going to try and at least double it up to 2000. And, you know, the feedback was really positive, but the most amazing part to me is that during the course of promoting it just the aspect of promoting it from a marketing perspective uh the trials generated from those promotions or people that were Hmm. in trial that received those promotions became customers at a rate of somewhere between 35 and 45 percent
1: whoa yeah man we need to do that do you mind if i just completely rip off that idea
0: i don't because i think everybody's doing it. if you execute it well i think it's a really cool thing this year we're going to do it like a live tv show before like a studio audience that's going to be neat so uh, we've got an event space and all that kind of stuff, but it is virtual. And, and and just the all the stuff and content we were sharing during that time, during our busy season, which is like Q1, um, you know, it all went to to, to the brand effect, right? To the, just the idea that like, hey, we know what we're doing. We're doing things that are fun and cool. Um, CRM is like not necessarily the sexiest thing about your day, but it also doesn't have to be a nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. And so why don't you come join us for this? And, and I, it worked out really well. So hopefully it does the same thing again. And I look like uh, I know what I'm doing.
1: And so you have normal conference speakers that would physically attend conferences, but they're actually just promoting virtually remote. That's correct. Yep. That's that's awesome. How do I get in on that?
0: I'll send you a customer. Yeah. (laughs) I'll send you all this. I'll send you all the stuff. Absolutely.
1: That is so cool. When's the next one?
0: Uh, Next one is actually, I was just funny. We were sitting here and I just got emailed like the new landing page for it.
1: Uh, while You're talking to me. I'm not feeling the love.
0: Mike. Oh, i'm not emailing i've got slack right. up I, like you said it's distracting Dude. yeah <laughs> so you, i'm Jesus. caught i'm found out i'm found out and do you, do you, do, you not, do you not feel like i've been engaged
1: i think uh, no no bit. no i'm uh, sorry i'm sorry i take it back you've even if you did multitask a little bit you've been very engaged it's been very no, I, love I love this
0: conversation i love this conversation it's been awesome <laughs> so march 6 uh 2020 is the the next boundless uh anybody that wants it can go to it's not up yet but it will be at nutshell.com forward slash boundless 2020
1: what, what kind of speakers do you get at that thing
0: Let's see uh, who is coming this year. We've got Jeffrey Gittimer, uh, who's the, you know, the, he wrote the little red book of sales. He's got the seller die podcast. It's, it's a New York times bestselling author, David Blake, uh, CEO and founder of client success, uh, mm-hmm. which is like a client or customer relationship, you know, sort of company. Uh, Christine Volden. She does. She's the founder of soulful selling. Um, and she's a CRM instructor with LinkedIn. Uh, who else has come in? John Barros, we've got Colin Campbell from Sales Hacker. Um, Sujan Patel, uh, who I actually just did a thing with him for Mailshake's virtual conference not too long ago. Hmm. Super smart dude, love talking to him. Um, Patrick Campbell who's the founder and CEO of ProfitWell. And that's it so far. Uh, there's probably a couple more kind of filtering in there. And then I always give a talk of some kind. Yeah. If there's room for me. If there's <laughs> room for me. Ben, who, who runs content here at yeah. Nutshell, sometimes makes the space for me. And sometimes does not. I take no offense to
1: it. <laughs> right on. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Um, I'll uh, Send me the links to that. We'll send it out in the show notes.
0: Oh, awesome. 100%. All
1: right. So in closing, you said you had a funny story. Do you remember what the context of that was? Oh, yeah. So sales oh, and marketing. Shit. Can we, yeah, can we bring it all the way we, back around horseshoe this thing? Bring it all the way back. The horseshoe
0: thing. What was I talking about that I had? a? It was about we we're talking about leads and like, who doesn't want leads? Oh, yes. OK. So in the inverse. Right. So we talked a lot about, you know, the fact that marketing produces crap leads. And like, and that can be the case, right? So, I mean, sometimes it can be the case, particularly, like you said, when you're incentivizing bad behavior and you're just looking for lead volume, often bad behavior is what you get. Um, However, in this instance, uh, I was called into a company, uh, an agency actually here in Michigan who needed a partner agency to do lead generation. Like now you can chuckle about that all you want, right? So here you have a digital agency that needs to hire another digital agency to do lead gen because they don't understand it.
1: I'm just um, leave it. I'm and so it right the there. clients <laughs> where
0: I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm leave that right, right there. there. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I'm sitting at a huge conference table. It's just me by myself, by the way. And there must be 15 people at this conference table. The client, which is like, uh, I don't even mind telling who it is. It doesn't matter. They're not my client anymore. Uh, was Guardian Alarm, which is like the ADT mm-hmm. of the Midwest, if you will. So like not, a, not, not a small client. And you know, and so they're talking about the fact that they're not closing any deals, and they had me analyze their PPC agency and like you know how the leads were coming in. I looked at everything, dude, and it all looked good to me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I was like, I, I so I, they asked me. I'm sitting in front of all these people. They're like, well, you know, what do you think's the the issue here, Mike? And I was like, look, I'm going to be frank, and I'm no one in this room <laughs> is paying me yet, so this <laughs> might send me right out, right out of the room on a rail. But like, I'm just going to be transparent and honest because that's who I am. I said. I don't know what your sales team is doing, but you should fire every single one of them. (laughs) And they all looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, they were pretty dead silence, right? Like crickets throughout the entire room. And I took them Uh through all the numbers and like all the ad groups that were being run and whatever else. And I I was like, do I think I could do a better lead gen job than what you guys are doing now? Yeah, I do. But that's, you know, we're talking optimization. We're not talking something like changing out from whole cloth. And uh-huh. so they, you know, I left the room thinking that like, well, I just screwed that deal, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and so I left. They called me back two weeks later and brought me in. And they're like, we fired the sales team. We hired one new guy. Oh, my God. And I was like, you, I was like, you did. And they're like, we're closing deals like nobody's business. Wow. And I was like, I told you. Because oh, like so you know God. you gotta you gotta look at both ends of the the conversation. So we got hired, and I helped them hire and build a like a slightly bigger sales team and, and whatever <laughs> else, and it it was all good. I mean, it's always somebody's fault, right? But
1: uh-huh. yeah, but right. I, <laughs> wow, you're a you're a mass murderer. You're a you're a serial career killer.
0: My it's the career, serial
1: career killer. This is career the politics
0: killer. angle of, of <laughs> me, like the, it, the politics is brutal, and this is all you know, yeah, fun stuff.
1: Uh, so Mike, this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, where do you want to Where do you want to send our audience to? What do you want them to check out?
0: Well, uh, so I'll say two things. One, if you're in the business for a CRM, I got to plug my own company. Nutshell is a sneaky, powerful CRM. So head down to nutshell.com. If nothing else, go to the SellerWin blog, which you can get a link to right on the homepage there and sign up for our content, which is, is excellent. Um, and then the other thing is if you like listening to me rant and rave, Uh, on a regular basis definitely check out the uh you know make the logo bigger podcast available on all your all your (coughs) most prominent podcast offering systems you and i did not get to talk about podcasts by the way at some point i would love to do that with you as well but i can't thank you enough for having me man i I love this conversation i've been on a couple of podcasts recently and this is by far the most fun i've had without a doubt
1: (laughs) Well, we wanted to make sure this podcast was fun first so people actually listened a little bit and then maybe sprinkle in a few marketing things every now and then. So this, this has been a blast, man. This has been one of the best conversations I've had on the podcast. Most fun, for sure. Um, we should do it again.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime.
1: Cool. Sounds good. Um, we will send out some of the links. Send me over those links. If you wouldn't mind, I will send them out in the show notes. And um, I'll let you know when we uh, when we go live with this bad boy.
0: That sounds good. I, yeah, I can't wait to do this again. It's so good to talk to you,
1: Mike. Thanks a lot, uh, everybody. That's been above the fold. We'll catch you next time. Later.